You are listening to Supporting Supporters, a Change to Chill podcast. This is a free mental well-being resource offered by Alina Health. My name is Tanya Freeman. I'm a licensed psychologist and regional lead psychologist with Alina Health. These podcast episodes are aimed with the goal of providing quick, tangible resources and information from Alina Health mental health providers on a range of mental health topics relevant to day-to-day lives of the listener. We invite you to join us in any way you please, whether you sit back and kick your feet up, or as you engage in movement, your daily commute, or as you prepare for your day. However you choose to join us, we welcome you and we honor your time. Hello, my name is David Nathan, and I'm a licensed psychologist who works for Alina Health. Thanks very much for pulling up this podcast. I'm very appreciative of the work you do. Both of my parents and my twin sister are teachers. What you do makes the world a better place and shapes the next generations. There are few jobs more important to our society than teaching and guiding our young people. Thanks very much for doing it. I hope this is helpful for you. One of the most requested topics we have been asked to cover is what can we control and what can't we control? What a good topic. Today I'm going to discuss how to have more control, healthy and unhealthy types of control, and realistic expectations about what we can and cannot control. First, let's jump into the initial question. What can we control and what can't we control? I'm going to assume we want to talk about healthy answers to that question. First, I'll talk about ways to establish more healthy control, and later I'll discuss ways to recognize and avoid unhealthy control. In terms of healthy control, the simplest answer to the question of what can we control and what can't we control is, it's complicated. Looking at the internet, there are zillions of websites and articles that have well-meaning but incomplete answers to that question. As I was researching this podcast, I commonly saw statements such as, we can control our emotions, and we can control our behavior, we can control our calendar, we can control our meals, we can control our mindset, etc. I think these articles have some uses, but they are also missing factors that psychologists and organizational behaviorists and business strategists have identified as impacting what is and is not under our control. Specifically, there are six factors that have been identified as impacting what is and is not under control, and these factors can change. These factors are time frame, personal skills and abilities, resources available to us, our physical health, our mental health, and our mindset. Adjusting our expectations as these dimensions change can help us spend more time under control. Awareness of these factors can help us be more successful and more comfortable. Let's talk about what the factors represent. The first factor is time. If we want to do something, do we need to do it now or do we have a week to do it? Can it be done next week or next month? If I need to run to the store to get milk, I can probably do that nearly any time. If I need to organize a school fundraiser for hundreds of guests, I can't do that in an afternoon. In a previous podcast, I discussed our time budget. What we do is limited by how much time we have. We need to recognize how much time is available to us and not try and cram more activities into our day than we have hours to do things. Otherwise, we're going to burn out. Being thoughtful about how much time we have and how much time it will take to do things helps us to have more control over our lives. The next factor is what are our personal skills and abilities. If someone is a good cook or a good piano player, or if they speak French or Spanish, there are things they are going to be able to do that people who don't have those skills will not be able to do. We need to respect that we and everyone else has different skills and abilities, and something that's easy or hard for someone might not be easy or hard for someone else. And everyone has things that they are good at, 
medium at, and not so good at, and that's how it goes. We need to be honest about what our skill sets are and what we think we can do. The third factor is resources available to us. This has to do with what's available to us in the environment and the people around us. Can we borrow a cup of sugar from our neighbor? Is there someone who could watch our kids if we needed to run an errand or take a break? Do we live in a safe neighborhood? Do we have friends and family that we can trust and who have our best interests at heart? Financial wealth and material resources is also related to this factor. Do we have the ability to pay for an emergency car or home repair? The more resources we have access to at any given time is going to increase the amount of control we have over our lives. The fourth dimension is our physical health. If someone has asthma or diabetes or a heart condition, or if they're blind, or if they just have the flu, these things can impact how well they do things. We need to be thoughtful about this. If someone is sick or injured and they push themselves too hard, they're going to end up worse off. The physical health factor also include things like, are we hungry? Are we tired? Are we cold from being outside when it's chilly or it's raining? How is our physical body doing? The fifth factor is our mental health. Are we emotionally exhausted, burned out, depressed, anxious? Are we dealing with grief or loss, feeling overwhelmingly angry? Are we feeling confident and capable, excited? We are going to be able to do a lot more when we are feeling mentally healthy than when we're not. If you have listened to my other podcasts, you've heard me discuss the cell phone battery metaphor for mental health. I apologize if you've already heard it, but one way of looking at the mind is like a battery. When we're fully charged or close to fully charged, we feel great. When we're at 80 or 90%, even if something big comes up, we still have plenty of energy left over. When we do activities that take energy from us, such as chores or boring activities or dealing with difficult people, when we have to sustain our attention on things that we don't enjoy, we use up our mental energy. Once we drop down below about the 50th percentile, we're going to start experiencing mental health symptoms. These symptoms show up in three different categories. Internalizing symptoms, such as obsessive thoughts, worries, or feeling down. Externalizing symptoms, such as breaking things, getting into fights with people, or just feeling irritable. And then somatic symptoms, symptoms we feel in our body, such as headaches or stomach aches. The more used up we are, the lower our battery is, the more frequent and severe these symptoms are. Healthy diet, exercise, sleep, and self-care help us recharge our batteries and keep us more relaxed and capable. The sixth factor, a healthy mindset, can also help. Our mindset refers to the general way we view the world. This is a complex topic with many parts. Today I'm going to discuss three parts that are most closely related to control. Those are compassion for self and others, mental flexibility, and setting realistic expectations and boundaries. These are especially important skills for adults working with children and teenagers. I'll give you a quick rundown, but there's also plenty of resources on the internet about these. Compassion for ourselves and others, also called grace, is all about not beating ourselves and other people up. Everyone makes mistakes. If we are blaming ourselves or other people when things go badly, we are engaging in a common but unhelpful coping strategy. Life is complicated. There are usually lots of reasons why things happen. Thinking that it's all my fault or all someone else's fault paints with a very broad brush and is unlikely to help us understand the reality of the situation or fix it. If something goes wrong, learning from it, addressing the source of the problem if possible, and moving on is the healthy thing to do. If we give ourselves a hard time or someone else a hard time, 
we are actually making the situation worse. Being compassionate with ourselves and others is a healthier thing to do. Human beings, by our nature, want to be successful, and we usually try to be as successful as we can. If we had known something we were doing was going to go badly, we would have done something else. Compassion can help make bad situations better. Mental flexibility is another aspect of our mindset. Having different solutions to problems is more effective than having one answer for everything. Conditions and context matter. If a student yells in class, it's helpful to know what is going on when we respond. If the antecedent of the student yelling was that someone slipped and their book bag fell on the student who yelled, that's a very different situation than if someone is yelling because they're trying to get negative attention or trying to embarrass another classmate. Mental flexibility also helps us deal with complex situations. If someone is stung by a bee, we can know intellectually that the bee is more scared of us than we are of the bee, that the bee was trying to defend its hive, and that the bee gave its life to protect its family. We can also recognize the emotional and experiential reality that bee stings hurt. These two realities, the intellectual and the emotional experiential side, are both true, and one does not override the other. Human beings and human situations are very complicated. Being able to keep multiple points of view in mind when we make decisions helps us make the best choices. The final aspect of mindset I'll talk about today is setting appropriate boundaries. Healthy boundaries establish realistic, hard limits. Living within these limits and expecting them from others helps keep us safe. Having too many rules can be stifling, but it's critical that clear rules exist. Working with parents, I often use the example of teaching the big three in their homes. In this home, we are respectful with our words and tone, so we are not hurtful with what we say. We are respectful with our bodies and physical objects, so we're safe with our bodies and things, and we respect what our parents and primary caregivers say. If someone breaks these rules, they've injured the family community, and they lose access to a preferred activity, such as screens or hanging out with friends, until a chore is completed. When the job is done to their parents' or primary caregiver's satisfaction, they have repaired their injury to the family, and they have earned their privilege back. Expecting respectful words, behavior, and listening to teachers and other staff makes for a comfortable classroom environment where learning can take place. Outside of the classroom, if someone is not verbally or physically safe with you, or if they don't respect you, it is important for you to consider what options you have available to you, including reorganizing how much time you spend with that person. Even when we disagree, there is always a way to do this respectfully. The healthier our mindset is, the less likely we will get in our own way or in the way of others when things are difficult in our lives. It's important to recognize what things are not part of the big six, specifically things that do not impact what we can and cannot do. The first thing that has nothing to do with what we can and cannot actually do is what other people tell us. Just because someone says we should be able to do something does not actually mean that we can do it. Just because someone else can do something doesn't mean that we can do it. We also cannot control what other people do or say. We can't control other people's behavior. When it comes to our own students and our children, we can work to create environments that make it easier for them to be in control, but we can't control them directly. Well, now we've discussed the big six and we've identified some things we actually have no control over. Now let's discuss healthy and unhealthy control. There are plenty of unhealthy ways we can pressure people to get things we want from them, 
and there are unhealthy ways other people can pressure us to get what they want. Just because we can use unhealthy pressure does not mean it's a good idea. Unhealthy pressure is destructive. Someone or physically harming someone in order to get them to act in a way that somebody else wants can change behavior, but it's going to damage the human being being pressured. It's going to damage the relationship between the person being pressured and the person applying the pressure, and it's going to cause resentment and thoughts even plans or revenge to develop. Unhealthy pressure also takes a lot of time and energy to sustain. If someone is applying unhealthy pressure to someone else, establishing healthy boundaries and limiting or eliminating time spent with that person needs to be considered. Healthy control is more interactive. We might not get everything we want in the moment, but the relationships tend to last longer. Interactions and relationships with healthy control tend to be a resource for everyone involved. And unlike relationships with unhealthy control, they tend to free up time and energy for their participants. That's it for this podcast. Today we have discussed the big six factors that impact how much control we have over things. We discussed factors that have nothing to do with what we can and cannot control. And we had a description of unhealthy and healthy control. Thanks very much for listening. Take care. On behalf of Alina Health and Change to Chill, we thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We do hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope that you join us in other episodes covering even more interesting topics with mental health providers. As always, you can find the show notes and any accompanying research and tools at the Change to Chill website at www.changetochill.org. In health and in wellness, take care and see you next time.